Greetings, fellow travelers. Welcome to the One Year Bible Tour. Today is March 13th, and we're continuing to read the One Year Bible together with daily stops to take in the view from particular vantage points in the Old and New Testaments, and then to join with the musicians sounding their heart cries in the Book of Psalms, as well as dipping into the Pool of Wisdom when we visit the Book of Proverbs. My name is David McAdam, and I'm here at the New Life Ministry Center in Concord, Massachusetts, and I hope that you find it helpful when we read together and reflect upon God's Word. We're listening in on the Lord's instructions to Moses and Aaron about some unique laws for the church in the wilderness, anticipating once again the perfections of the author of our salvation and his perfect provision to enable us to stand clean before the Lord. The book of Numbers chapter 19 is where we are, and we're starting with verse 1, Laws for Purification. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, This is the statute of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the people of Israel to bring you a red heifer without defect, in which there is no blemish, and on which a yoke has never come. And you shall give it to Eleazar the priest, and it shall be taken outside the camp and slaughtered before him. And Eleazar the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger, and sprinkle some of its blood toward the front of the tent of meeting seven times. And the heifer shall be burned in his sight. Its skin, its flesh, and its blood, with its dung, shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet yarn, and throw them into the fire, burning the heifer. Then the priest shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. But the priest shall be unclean until evening. The one who burns the heifer shall wash his clothes in water and bathe his body in water, and shall be unclean until evening. And a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and deposit them outside the camp in a clean place. And they shall be kept for the water for impurity for the congregation of the people of Israel. It is a sin offering. And the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. And this shall be a perpetual statute for the people of Israel and for the stranger who sojourns among them. Whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean seven days. He shall cleanse himself with the water on the third day, and on the seventh day, and so be clean. But if he does not cleanse himself on the third day, and on the seventh day, he will not become clean. Whoever touches a dead body, the body of anyone who has died, and does not cleanse himself, defiles the tabernacle of the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from Israel, because the water for impurity was not thrown on him. He shall be unclean. His uncleanness is still on him. This is the law when someone dies in a tent. Everyone who comes into the tent and everyone who is in the tent shall be unclean seven days. And every open vessel that has no cover fastened on it is unclean. Whoever in the open field touches someone who was killed with a sword or who died naturally or touches a human bone or a grave, shall be unclean seven days. For the unclean they shall take some ashes of the burnt sin offering, and fresh water shall be added in a vessel. Then a clean person shall take hyssop, and dip it in the water, and sprinkle it on the tent, and on all the furnishings, and on the persons who were there, and on whoever touched the bone, or the slain, or the dead, or the grave." 
and the clean person shall sprinkle it on the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day. Thus on the seventh day he shall cleanse him, and he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and at evening he shall be clean. If the man who is unclean does not cleanse himself, that person shall be cut off from the midst of the assembly, since he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord, because the water for impurity has not been thrown on him, he is unclean. And it shall be a statute forever for them. The one who sprinkles the water for impurity shall wash his clothes, and the one who touches the water for impurity shall be unclean until evening. And whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean, and anyone who touches it shall be unclean until evening. Chapter 20 The Death of Miriam And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord! Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, Therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, You know all the hardship that we have met, how our fathers went down to Egypt, and we lived in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians dealt harshly with us and our fathers. And when we cried to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. And here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or vineyard or drink water from a well. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. But Edom said to him, You shall not pass through lest I come out with the sword against you. And the people of Israel said to him, We will go up by the highway, and if we drink of your water, I and my livestock, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. But he said, You shall not pass through. And Edom came out against them with a large army and with a strong force. 
Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory, so Israel turned away from him. And they journeyed from Kadesh, and the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came to Mount Hor. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron at Mount Hor, on the border of the land of Edom, Let Aaron be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land that I have given to the people of Israel, because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eleazar his son, and bring him up to Mount Hor, and strip Aaron of his garments, and put them on Eleazar his son. And Aaron shall be gathered to his people, and shall die there. Moses did as the Lord commanded, and they went up Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments, and put them on Eleazar his son. And Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain, and when all the congregation saw that Aaron had perished, all the house of Israel wept for Aaron thirty days. This concludes today's reading from the Old Testament. Let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we've read. We started with the red heifer offering in Numbers chapter 19. The red heifer sacrifice is unique. It is mentioned only once in the Old Testament. The ashes from this slaughtered animal are to be taken to a ceremonially clean place. There the ashes were to be mixed with the water and sprinkled on the third and seventh day of the seven-day purification process required when anyone is rendered unclean by coming in contact with the dead. A heifer is a young female cow before she has had her first calf. Unlike the offering of bulls and goats, which must be offered continually, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 4, the red heifer offering is a singular offering representative of the once and for all sacrifice of Christ that has ongoing efficacy for cleansing. Its ashes serve as evidence that the sacrifice has been fully consumed and atonement has been provided for. This proof is mixed with water, a type of the Word of God in John 15 verse 3 and Ephesians chapter 5 verse 26, and administered by the Holy Spirit in John chapter 7 verse 38 and 39. According to Numbers 19, the heifer must fulfill several conditions. First, it must be unblemished and without defect, a type of the sinlessness of Jesus Christ. Secondly, it must never have been under any yoke, which is a type of Jesus not being a slave of Satan, the God of this world, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, and 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, and John chapter 14, verse 30. He also did not commit himself to a man because he knew what was in man, in John chapter 2, verse 24. Instead, he committed himself to the Father to be what he had planned for him to be for man, the perfect substitutionary sacrifice. Thirdly, the actual hide of the heifer, and not just the hair, must be red. Red signifies sin. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. In Isaiah 1.18, this reminds us of Jesus being identified with sin on the outside while remaining pure on the inside. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Fourthly, the red heifer had to be burned outside the camp. 
Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the camp or outside the gate in Hebrews 13.12. The blood of this sacrifice is sprinkled seven times from the finger of the priest in front of the tent of meeting. The number seven signifies enough, that which is sufficient. The raised finger indicates the number one. It is one sacrifice sufficient for all. The burning of the red heifer is also different from other sacrifices. The priest casts cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet into the midst of the fire as the offering is being consumed. This indicates that the offering is for all of creation. Solomon wrote of all creation, quote, from the cedar even to the hyssop, end quote. 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 33 to 34. Scarlet represents sin and Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 2, verse 2, And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So the offering of the red heifer stands for the perfect once and for all sacrifice of Christ. Hebrews 10.10 By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Or Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. The communication of this truth for the ongoing purification of believers is illustrated by the application of the water of purification that contains the remaining ashes after the red heifer has been burned outside the camp. The sacrifice is not repeated when we need purification. Its efficacy is applied. The word of the cross is received by faith. John 15.3, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Romans 10.17, Consequently, faith comes through hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. The water of the word declares the efficacy of the once and for all sacrifice and bears witness to the fact that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. We know that our old man has been crucified with Christ. In Romans 6, 6 Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Whatever we touch of something of the old man, Adam, we become defiled and need to be cleansed. Our need for cleansing does not necessitate the repetition of Jesus' perfect sacrifice. It requires that the truth of the efficacy of His once and for all sacrifice, evident in the precious blood of Jesus Christ, needs to be applied to our lives through the water of the Word by the Spirit. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In 1 John 1, 9. The story of the first generation of Israelites in the wilderness is now drawing to a close. Numbers chapter 15 through 19 describe the 38 years of wandering of the total 40 years of the journey from the Exodus to the Promised Land. By the time the children of Israel are ready to cross the Jordan River into Canaan, all those who had been over twenty years of age at the time when the twelve spies were sent out from Kadesh Barnea would have died. In the last thirty-eight years, 
they would have come full circle, arriving back where they started, the place where they originally gave credence to the faithless report of the ten spies who defied Joshua and Caleb's report that the Lord was able to deliver their enemies into their hands. The nation of Israel has received a 38-year chastisement for their unbelief. An entire generation forfeited their right of entry into the promised land. In Numbers chapter 20, both the death of Miriam and Aaron are recorded. Unbelief is now revealed in Moses. You will remember that 38 years earlier, at Mount Horeb, in the wilderness of Sin, Moses was commanded to strike the rock with his staff. This first striking of the rock was a clear picture of Christ, our rock, being smitten of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, and Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. The Hebrew word selah indicates a cliff and not just a boulder. The rod of divine justice was to come down upon the rock as a punishment so that sin could be atoned for. The result of this picture of justice being satisfied was water issuing forth from the rock, which speaks of the life of Christ ministered by the Holy Spirit in John chapter 7, verses 38 to 39. In the incident recorded in Numbers chapter 20, verse 8, Moses is told to speak to the rock before their eyes that it may yield its water. Moses disobeys this command and misrepresents God both in attitude and action. In the heat of his frustration, Moses reprimands the people, saying, Listen now, you rebels, shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? Numbers 20, verse 10. Moses misrepresents God in what he says. The water was not to be fetched, nor was Moses called to fetch it. The rock would yield water once spoken to. Whereas the first incident with the smitten rock represents Christ crucified, by whom we are reconciled to God, the second incident with the living rock represents the very same Jesus, risen, glorified at the right hand of the Father, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, by whose indwelling life we shall be saved, in Romans 5:10, The same Jesus that died for us, rose from the dead, ascended to the Father, to live in us by the Holy Spirit. We can speak to the rock. We can speak to the living rock to make our requests known, our access having been purchased at the cross. Moses lifts up his hand and strikes the rock twice with his rod. This is not what God asked him to do. He who was smitten for us needs not to be smitten again. For by one offering he is perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Hebrews 10.14 Moses also takes credit for bringing water to the people. He said, Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? In Numbers 20, verse 10, this is another distortion of the real truth. In this incident of testing, known as the waters of Meribah, the Lord proves himself to be holy. Moses would not bring the assembly into the promised land. God's sovereign hand is seen in this, as Moses, who represents the law, can only point to the promised land. The law could not bring anyone into it. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son, Yeshua, of whom Joshua will be a type. And now for our New Testament reading, Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 to 25. Luke starts his gospel with a dedication to Theophilus. 
Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn away many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you, and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they wondered at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. This concludes our reading in the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke, and I'm so excited to be reading this Gospel once again with you. Dr. Luke, the physician, prepares his two New Testament writings, his Gospel and the Book of Acts, for a gentleman named Theophilus. Many scholars believe that Theophilus was the attorney working for Paul's defense while Paul was imprisoned in Rome. Luke had been a member of Paul's first missionary trip to Macedonia, joining him when he sailed from Troas to Philippi in Acts chapter 16, verse 11. Both Luke's gospel and the book of Acts would furnish the Roman authorities with an accurate account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ and the aftermath of Christ's resurrection that spread Christianity throughout the empire. In his second volume, the book of Acts, Luke references this gospel. He writes in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, The first account I composed, Theophilus, 
about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Luke is a first-rate historian as he carefully anchors events in their historical setting. He gives specific details referencing the locations and families of the people he writes about so that his account can be easily investigated for accuracy. He is also careful to show that Christianity was not a political movement designed to topple Rome, but that it was a movement God provided to topple the rule of sin in the heart. Luke has a more exhaustive record of Jesus' teaching than the other Gospels. Luke has 17 parables that are unique to his account. He also records seven miracles that are not recorded in the Gospels of Matthew or Mark. Luke begins his Gospel narrative with the story of Zacharias, who receives word from Gabriel, an angel of the Lord, that his wife Elizabeth would bear him a son, whom he is to call John. This son, born in their old age, will be the prophesied forerunner of the Messiah, fulfilling what was promised in Isaiah chapter 40. A voice of one calling, In the desert prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. He would be the one foretold in the final prophecy of the Old Testament given in Malachi chapter 4 verse 6. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord in Luke 1.17. Zacharias finds this promise incredible. As a sign that this would come to pass, Zacharias is told that he will be struck silent until the day when these things take place. And so, as Zechariah is left speechless at this encounter with the angel Gabriel, we await for his first words, which we'll read about tomorrow in the Gospel of Luke. Now let's go to the heart cries of the psalmist, Psalm 56, verses 1-13, through 13, and Ben Harris will be reading for us today. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back. In the day when I call, this I know, that God is for me. In God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Thank you, Ben. I think that anybody who goes through hard times can identify with the words of this psalm. It was written during a very difficult time in David's life when he was taken captive by the Philistines in Gath. Be merciful to me, O God, 
for men hotly pursue me, all day long they press their attack. He was naturally fearful for his safety. When I am afraid I will trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I will trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? Notice that he makes a choice. I will trust, I will not be afraid. Some have said that fear is faith in reverse. David knew that he had to change gears. He had to engage with God in faith instead of giving way to his emotions. This is a good segue to today's proverb, Proverbs 11, verse 8. In the New International Version, it reads, The righteous man, or the man who is rightly related to God, is rescued from trouble, and it comes on the wicked instead. That's the big picture anyway. The English Standard Version reads, The righteous is delivered from trouble, and the wicked walks into it instead. So we trust that God's wisdom will keep us out of trouble today. Let's pray. O Lord of life, you have redeemed us from the curse of death. Cleanse us from our correspondence with the old sin nature. Wash us with the declaration of the finished work of Christ. Help us to yield in obedience to the Holy Spirit and put to death the selfish preoccupations of our old sin nature. Our souls sing with the words of the psalmist, When we are afraid, we will make a choice. We will put our trust in you rather than in our emotions. We will praise you, the living word of God, because your word is truth. Therefore, we need not be afraid. What can mere man do to us? Our confidence is in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining with us today. It's good to be partners in reading God's Word together, and I trust that we will be taking with us words today of encouragement, instruction, and that the Holy Spirit will be applying many of these life lessons to us. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you for being part of our listening family. And if you'd like to know more about New Life Community Church or any of our ministries, you can go to our website at newlife.org. Thank you and God bless you.